0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Spandrew Spice. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is Nub City. What was Nub City? Well, through the middle of the 20th century, one town in the Florida Panhandle was home to an inordinate high number of insurance claims. Why was this? Well, the primary occupation of Vernon, Florida, was self-mutilation.
1: Cut my arm into pieces. This is Nub City, Florida.
0: sweet home. Vernon, Florida is located in the iconically named Washington County, Florida. As of 2018, the U.S. Census Bureau has an estimated population of 690 people. The town is named after, as you might assume, George Washington's hallowed Virginia home, Mount Vernon. The city sits on the Holmes Creek, where in the 1880s, it was used as a shipping route to Bonifay and other nearby towns. The creek was also used to ship gopher tortoises due to the high value of their shells. However, this once thriving community struggled to maintain its equilibrium after a certain point due to the decisions of the townspeople. Vernon seems like a fairly normal name. However, it's also known by another moniker,
1: one that is distinctly more theatrical in tone, Nub City. When you do improv a lot of the time uh this isn't like a universal thing but many improv teams will like choose animals for every person as like your induction into the group like when you fully get on the team or whatever you have like an animal and it's like supposed to like represent your personality or whatever um and frankly i find this a little insulting because i feel like this has always been done to me but my animal that I was given on an improv team I was on was just the platypus because it was like, he they're so unique and strange or whatever, which I just feel like is just a very generic thing that people say whenever you aren't just like a basic bitch. It's like people act like you're just weird. But if you were to graduate into an improv team, I think that your animal would be the gopher tortoise. I would I would uh if
0: if that happened I want you to know that I would immediately quit said improv team.
1: If you were given the go for I mean to be honest I wanted to quit whenever I got it too it's a really dumb thing. It's not cool at all but I think that's what they would I think that's what you would get. But aren't gopher tortoises like small turtles? Where's the lie? <laughs> you son
0: of a bitch! <laughs> you son of a bitch! Like I, I could even, I could even put down with like, all right, monkey, some, some goofy ass fucking monkey? dog. Like I, I get, I don't know, cause I'm fucking small and I'm loud or whatever. I don't know. I, I could see somebody saying something like that. I don't think anyone looks at me and
1: goes, that guy is very slow. I mean, turtles are faster than you think they are.
0: This is such weird gaslighting. This is you passing on the trauma from some asshole trying to convince <laughs> you that a platypus wasn't an insult this thing that you're telling me isn't a real tradition in the fucking uh improv space this is like everybody pulling a fucking practical joke on you and you got super hurt and you never recovered from it because you're like i'm not a fucking platypus platypuses are fucking crazy looking and now this is you passing this on to me trying to be like no no Turtles aren't slow, Dave. What are you fucking gaslighting me?
1: I mean, parts parts of that may be true, but it definitely is a tradition.
0: Vernon, Florida, aka Nub City, gained the name throughout the 1950s and 60s, when an inordinately high number of its residents lost their limbs due to, in air quotes, tragic accidents. Meaning that at some point, the residents of Vernon became aware of the idea of insurance fraud and then went to town. Initially, residents would receive a payout here or there, a couple thousand dollars due to a grazed hand by a bullet or an accidental gun misfiring, hitting somebody in the foot. However, as the money started to pour in, so did the self-mutilation and it eventually went to a whole new level. Spandrew, this story is insane. This story is crazy. When did you first hear about Nub City?
1: I don't know. It I it's one of those stories and I I don't know if you have things like this where you hear about it somewhere like passingly. Like I, I, all I heard was like surface level information about this. There was this there was this town where all these people there, there was this high number of people who would have insurance claims for like amputations or losing limbs and i it was kind of like a thing where i was like always at the like i i kind of put it on the back burner of like one day i'm gonna go learn more about that because that sounds fucking crazy and i just never it just kind of never did and i and i don't know when i don't know where it came from i don't know what the where the first time i heard of it or anything like that it's just it's just one of those stories that's just been kind of like kicking around in the back of my mind for a long time
0: I feel like this is one of those stories, like, do you remember there's that town? I think it's called Gibsonville or Gib Gibville in, I think it's also in Florida, but maybe Georgia, where it was a town filled with circus performers, like ex-little people who were circus performers and ex-giants who were cir- circus performers. And after, I think like after the 1950s, a lot of the circuit for circuses died down and sideshows died down. So they all kind of, like, knew each other and they were like, hey, we're all moving to this little town. Like, come stay with us in the town. And, like, a lot of the people in this little township were all, you know, sideshow freak people and, uh, you know, bearded lady. Uh, one of the main guys in the town, I, I think he was
1: eventually arrested for double murder. Yeah, the lobster boy. Yeah, lobster boy. Yeah, he... He had like he had like uh you know, deformed hands that resembled lobster claws, or at least that's what they said when he was in the circus. And yeah, he, he like he murdered his wife, I think.
0: yeah, I think he murdered his wife, yeah, who was also a little person performer.
1: yeah, and he was just like he was just like an angry, belligerent guy who would just get into fights fist fights daily and he was a drunk. And then he ended up just killing his wife.
0: Yeah, he like basically got drunk, flew into a rage and then, you know, either accidentally or purposefully murdered his wife. And then there's like a whole behind the scenes drama with him where he like got off. He got arrested, but then he got off of the murder because of. Basically, he claimed, like, you're being prejudiced against me because I'm a little person who has this malformed hand thing. And, like, I think he maybe even had, like, I don't—I might be making this part up, but I think his legs were also conjoined in some way. Um, but that's—that that, mm, that seems—that fills us up too far. But regardless, like, the town, you know, police officer or sheriff or whatever was, like, a former circus worker who also had some uh, idiosyncratic thing where he was a giant or a little person or, a, you know, whatever— Um, And I feel like in some ways like that story and Nub City are like cousins, you know, like they they both have this kind of American heartland idyllic picturesque background where you think of America in this in the 1960s as this kind of, uh, you know, thriving post-war baby boomers in power and their you know, flower power taking over, systems of oppression starting to be dismantled with Jim Crow and everything starting to be really fought against, the civil rights movement happening, and like things are, it's mass chaos, but it's also like heading in the right direction and there's this very kind of patriotic idea of America in the middle century and, you know, obviously there were horrible things that were happening at that time, but it was also like they were happening so we could move in a positive direction, right? The greatest generation...
1: Yeah, there was there was there was an upward trajectory towards a more a more progressive world.
0: Yeah, more prog- it was uh, fighting for a more progressive world, and there was a a big you know culture backlash against the systems that had come before, and so there you get these interesting kind of conflicting ideas of America, where you have these small towns that are you know worst case scenario, ding 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 deliverance, but then you also have these major you know. Metropolitans that are fostering new thought and colleges uh, promoting discussion in the country. And you have these weird pockets like this of, you know, Gibbville or Gibsonville or whatever, where it's, you know, America prior to the 19th century was like a weird feudal land where you would have... You know, bearded ladies put on display, and people come and gawk at them. Like, what a weird, horrible thing that is. You know, just like monetizing body shame. What, what the fuck is going on with our culture? This is horrible.
1: Yeah, and and there's a few other ones like that that aren't necessarily even like not aren't even necessarily of that time. Like there was there was a thing that happened that kind of reminds me of both of these things. I think in I think in the either the late '90s or the early 2000s. And it was basically like there was this town in, I think, Washington or Oregon um, that like this specific town just tended to like generally swing more libertarian and was just really into like the idea of like low taxes. And then there was a couple of these key libertarian figures who saw that this town was generally more concentrated libertarian than any other town in the country and decided to basically move in and like do a land grab. And turned this into like a libertarian utopia. And they like went in and they bought up a bunch of stuff and privatized everything and just literally turned this into like a, a weird libertarian stronghold where there was just like no city government and no c- city or state funding. And it was all just like a lip, all just like run by like libertarian ideals. And then like they ended up just like getting overrun with bears because they didn't have they didn't have they, they they were in Oregon where there's bears and they completely gutted all of the regulations about like feeding bears basically and so the town just got overrun with bears
0: that doesn't even sound real like that doesn't even sound like that sounds like if you pitched that in an, in the writers room on an episode of the simpsons they'd be like i don't know that seems a step too far
1: sounds a little unrealistic uh, well, yeah, well, definitely true and definitely just like it's it, the thing that and and it, what's interesting is like even like the Gibsonville or whatever that thing is, even even that like makes a little bit more sense to me because they all sort of like it was this community of people who were no longer going to be able to have this nomadic life uh lifestyle because this idea of circus sideshow freaks was falling out of favor and people were like, actually, this is kind of fucked up and maybe we shouldn't do this anymore, which I think is like ultimately a net positive decision but it you know at the time it did affect the livelihoods of this group of people and so they all kind of decided like oh we're gonna go and live like that makes a even that at least that makes a little sense like why they did that but nub city or vernon florida and to a certain degree this other place the libertarian place it's fascinating to me that it's like that there was just like this it, it almost reminds me of like it, it reminds me of Uzumaki where like the whole idea of like every like this weird synchronicity where everybody in this town just they're, they're ha- like all the planets aligned and just that everybody was just in the right place at the right time and just everything fell into place where all of these people just started becoming obsessed with spirals and it led to this like mass event happening in this town that just spiraled further and further out of control and it kind of it kind of reminds me of that in a way where it's like It's so strange that like because, you know, insurance fraud is something that's been manipulated and taken advantage of for hundreds of years. People have been pulling insurance fraud schemes since insurance existed, basically. But the idea that like all of these people in this town, just like they all just kind of slotted into place to the point where this whole idea of committing insurance fraud became like a trend in this town specifically is so fascinating to me. The idea that it's just like all these electrons are just firing out everywhere. And then they all just happen to like align in a particular way. And all 700 of these people were just like, let's just let's fucking cut off our arms. Like, that's so insane to me.
0: Uh, I completely agree. But just for the record. So the name of the town is Gibsonton, Florida, which is often shortened to Gibtown, Florida, um, it's, uh, in the Hillsborough County area of Florida, which is down in the center of the state, whereas the Vernon is at the top in the panhandle. Um, and it's exactly like what we were saying, you know, a lot of people from all over, uh, that were involved in the sideshow slash circus world, uh, moved there and started a new life. And specifically the person we were referencing, uh, the lobster boy is named Grady Stiles uh, Grady Franklin Stiles jr. Was born June 27th 1937 and died November 29, 1992
1: Yeah, I, I I do remember that he, he lived very long.
0: Yeah, uh, his deformity was a genetic condition called ectodactyly uh, in, in which his fingers were fused to form claw-like extremities um, and uh, Styles was an alcoholic and was uh, from a, an abusive family due to his ectodactyly. Uh, he uh, was unable to walk, uh, so maybe his legs were phased together, or, uh, kind of together, I, I guess. Um, uh, while he sometimes used a wheelchair, he most commonly used his hands and arms to maneuver around. He developed a substantial upper body strength because of that, and when combined with his bad temper and alcohol- alcoholism, it made him highly dangerous. In 1979, or 1978, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Styles shot and killed his oldest daughter's fiance on the eve of their wedding. He was brought to trial where he openly confessed to killing the man and was convicted of third degree murder. He was not sent to prison as no state institution was equipped to care for an inmate with ectodactyly. Stiles was instead sentenced to house arrest for 15 years uh, and and 15 years of probation. Stiles stopped drinking thereafter and during this period remarried uh, his first wife, Mary Teresa. However, he soon began drinking again and his family claimed uh, that he had become even more abusive. In 1992, Teresa... Together with her son from a previous marriage, Harry Glenn Newman Jr., hired a 17-year-old sideshow performer named Chris Wyant to kill Stiles for $1,500. Wyant uh, was convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 27 years in prison. Harry Newman was given life in prison for his role as the mastermind, and Teresa was given 43 years in prison for conspiracy to commit murder. Holy shit. That is a story. Wow. So he didn't even die of old age. He he died because he got murdered, right? Is that what that means? I
1: think that's what it was. I think that's what it said.
0: Stiles' son, Grady Stiles III, disputes the claim that Teresa had him murdered. According to him, his mother, Teresa, and father were arguing Teresa had said something needs to be done. Teresa's son overheard this and went to a neighbor and repeated those words. Shortly thereafter, thereafter, Stiles smoked a cigarette while watching TV on the sofa, and a neighbor entered the home with a semi-automatic pistol and shot him in the head twice, killing him. Stiles was reportedly widely disliked in the community, so much so that only 10 people came to his funeral and nobody volunteered as a pallbearer for his coffin jesus that is the wildest thing i have read in a long time what the fuck
1: so it wasn't that he killed his wife it says wife killed him after he after he killed some other person
0: After he killed his daughter's fiance. Yeah. Wow. Grady Styles. Come for the Vernon leg amputation. Stay for the lobster boy murder suicide. Jeez, that is dark, man. It was reported in Vernon that one resident received upwards of $1 million for amputating a foot. You must be wondering to yourself, How did they get away with it? Well, simple. No jury would ever believe that someone would be poor enough to cut off their own foot. The phenomenon grew and grew throughout the small town until it started negatively impacting the economic health of the township. The steamboats that had previously meandered through stopped passing by, the railroad shut down, and even the sawmill, the main source of employment, closed its doors, thus requiring everyone to start cutting off limbs. As the town continued to experience economic hardship, so did the individuals within it, and so the self-mutilations continued and increased. Eventually, this information about the scams and mutilations got to an insurance investigator for the Continental National American Insurance Group. He was brought in to survey the people. John Joseph Healy showed up in Vernon around the time that the claims crossed the $100,000 mark. So, what
1: were his views on the town? Vernon's second-largest occupation was watching hound dogs mating in the town square, its largest was self-mutilation for monetary gain.
0: In one report, he even went so far as to write,
1: to sit in your car on a sweltering summer evening on the main street of Nub City, watching anywhere from 8 to a dozen cripples walk along the street, give the place a ghoulish and eerie atmosphere. I really just have to have to point out again that like it the convergence of everyone settling on this as the solution is absolutely mind-blowing to me. Like I I understand the idea of A town racked with economic hardship, people doing desperate things to try to make a living or survive. I mean, the most obvious thing that you think of that people do when they are experiencing economic hardship to like a very extreme degree is like theft. Like that's that's a thing that's just the immediate thing that you turn to whenever you're too poor to afford anything is like, oh, well, I just have to start stealing stuff stealing food and things to sell to try to like make some kind of a living. Um and obviously like that's very demonized in our society. People, you know, people place a, a moral charge on something like theft. Um like you're a bad person if you steal, even though uh many most people steal not because of some weird thrill that get out of it or because they just love stealing, but because they're like so poor that they just like have to. Um, but the idea that everybody just kind of like, like somebody did this, and everybody else was like, huh, and it it just like it it went around this town like a virus of like oh like we could do that like I could just cut off my arm and I could make some money like it's it's just so mind blowing that they settled on that as the solution capitalism baby yeah and it's like there's there's obviously there's obviously uh, who knows hundreds thousands of other towns in the united states experiencing a similar level of mass economic downturn and they're all like these little petri dishes and you see like little trends popping up like certain towns that are experiencing poverty you know there will be this uptick in like drug use because people are you know trying to get out of They're trying to escape from the daily hell of their lives and they get a hold of like cheap drugs and that's just the way that they are able to do it. And like I said before, there's towns where like thefts and like things will there will be a spike in thefts because of people experiencing poverty. And the fact that this one specific town, out of all these petri dishes, was just that was just settled on cutting off their limbs. Like, what what are what are the chances of that? What are the odds? I, I I would just I'd be really curious to know what the odds are of that becoming the thing.
0: It really is depressing on a bone deep level too, because you're like, oh, these people feel like they have I mean, no deeper other than recourse.
1: bone through the bone
0: through the bone clean you know, cut because they feel like they have nothing to offer and they have no way out. Like this is some fox caught in a bear trap style chewing through your own leg logic. Like it's easy to say like, oh they're doing this for a million dollars, they're getting rich, (laughs) fucking idiots. Like no dude, that is the wrong way of looking at this. This is like, oh these people have nowhere else to turn and the only place that they can try and provide for their families and find security is by removing pieces of themselves
1: yeah and like the person who got a million dollars like they did they did that by cutting off their foot like i mean no cutting off there's no limb that you could cut off that would be convenient like or completely life-altering and certainly you know psychologically traumatizing to do that on purpose but like cutting off your foot like you you have you have irreparably disabled yourself for the rest of your life in a way that is like massively life-changing Like, so yeah, like, yeah, they got a million dollars and I don't, I don't recommend doing this. I'm not like, I'm not like advocating for cutting off your foot, but like, that's fucking extreme. Like you gotta be, I don't, whatever, whatever, whatever the monetary value at the end of it was, like, I I don't think that they shot for a million. That's probably just what they got. But like the amount of desperate you have to be to cut off your own foot to make some money
0: that that kind of makes sense to me though like if you look at the math of i have a family there's no jobs in vernon there are 700 people i can't afford to drive to another town or city to like you know take the risk of setting myself up for a new job like i don't have any skills because the american education system has completely failed me i don't have any connections anywhere So really, I'm just like going to starve in Vernon, Florida in the 1960s a million dollars could last you the rest of your life, like full on. Not only would it last you the rest of your life, but if you used it well, you would have a house that you could will to your heirs. You would have, you know, you would be living good. So it's the difference between like, oh, I'm gonna starve in a fucking pit or like we're gonna live in a mansion and I don't have a foot. Okay, bye-bye. You know, this little piggy went to the bank. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> bye-bye foot. Like it, that makes sense to me.
1: And that's a good point too, because like, You know, contrary to this like bootstrapping mentality that a lot of people have that like poor people are morally bad and they're lazy and the way that you get out of poverty is by working hard, which like, you know, in some ways that's true. Like for sure, like I'm sure there's many scenarios where working very hard could change your life in many ways, but for the most part at a at a top down level, just statistically if you are born poor you are going to stay poor like it's very hard and it gets increasingly hard every every year or every decade i guess more more accurate to like trace it by decade rather than like year by year it gets worse every every decade it it is very hard to like break into the next social class uh or economic class in the united states Like you are likely going to stay poor if you were born poor. There's like a magnet pulling you down and only very extreme circumstances would help propel you out of that to the next economic class. So the idea of like, even if this specific town wasn't experiencing this massive um, poverty epidemic, like I I can basically I can basically sacrifice my foot at the altar of capitalism To set up my family, my bloodline to have generational wealth or even generational uh, just some kind of some kind of foundation so that like my family isn't like fucking like hammered with poverty for the next 50 years or whatever.
0: And and it's also you know these people weren't moving out of Vernon. Cost of living in Vernon, I'm sure, was not expensive. It's expensive when you don't have any money, but when you have a million dollars or even fifty thousand dollars in 1960, you could make fifty thousand dollars last a long time. You know, like in the in something we're going to talk about later. There's a Vernon resident who talks about how he bought a house. And like, he's just been living in the house. And he doesn't pay taxes and he fucking loves it because he's just like hanging out in this house for like forever. Amazing. Like, good for you, man. That's that's great. And it's really, especially as, you know, a, some sort of patriarch or matriarch of a family, I can totally see why someone would be like, I have all these people depending on me Okay, I'm going to shoot myself in the hand and get $100,000 and we're going to, you know, buy a house or whatever.
1: Yeah, it's almost it's almost like religious when you when you sort of frame it like that or it's like this idea of like making making a sacrifice to like bring good fortune to your family for, you know, generations.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, you're uh, you're sacrificing a a limb to the the the, <laughs> the Uber the uber capitalist, you know, bore that that rules all of American uh, identity, you know, for the entirety of our uh, country's existence, ostensibly. Yeah,
1: It's also it's also like uh, it's also kind of the, the extreme fucking deep Florida version of that Billy Joel song Allentown, because, you know, Allentown is about just throughout the 70s and 80s. The like factories in Pennsylvania, like car manufacturers shutting down and going overseas and all these people, you know, their parents and their parents, parents all worked in these factories and they all start shutting down. So they just like they have no future. Uh, It's like that except for they cut their foot off.
0: Yeah, it's it's like if Billy Joel directed uh, that movie where with the trains where they have to cut their arms off. What the fuck is the name of that movie? Trains. Bong Joon Ho based on a French graphic novel.
1: Oh, Snowpiercer.
0: Watch this. Yeah, it's like if Billy Joel directed Snowpiercer.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say it's like if Billy Joel directed Audition.
0: No, woof woof Audition. I can't I can't get down with that. Woof,
1: not into it. Yeah, that, that movie's hard to watch. I watched it once, and that was enough. And we're living here in Vernon Town, and they're shutting all the factories down, and I'm cutting off my fucking foot. Uh, uh, uh. Sorry, on a good day I could I could pull that off, but I'm I'm sick and my voice is all fucked up, so I couldn't I couldn't pull that off. Sorry, I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah, well, you you also fucked up because your lyrics weren't making a blood sacrifice to the blood god in the sign of a giant bloody dollar bill or something like that, you know.
1: And I'm making a sacrifice to the blood god so my family
0: won't die. By the mid 1960s, 50 people in the town's 700 residents were members of the Nub Club. Murray Armstrong, swear to God, that's the guy's real name. His his name is literally Murray Armstrong, an insurance official from Liberty National, who investigated the claims coming from the Florida Panhandle at the time recalled
1: there was a man who took out insurance with 28 or 38 companies
0: however it was impossible to convict any of these people because no one would believe that a person could be this desperate
1: it's actually interesting because the there was some so during the Great Depression so like 30 years before this um, back in the in the 1920s and 1930s there was there was also this huge uptick in insurance fraud because once again people were super poor super desperate and people would i don't think there was any like people amputating limbs but people would literally like abduct homeless people get them to sign papers like saying that they were their brother and then like murder them and then and then collect like life insurance policies on them and stuff that was like that was like a very common thing that happened in the 1930s that's dark that's really dark That's the ultimate sacrifice to the
0: blood god Oof Oof. So what put an end to Nub City Simple capitalism The unholy specter over all of these happenings The residents of Nub City were eventually forced to shut down their practice Due to insurance premiums
1: That's where they get you
0: Act two, Vernon, Florida, the movie. In the 1980s, filmmaker Errol Morris got wind of this story and decided to make a documentary about the town and its inhabitants. He initially went down there to make a doc called Nub City, but the entire town fought him. He eventually got jumped by a Marine, the son of a Nub Club member, and received multiple death threats. So he decided to pivot the film into making a snapshot of the small town. So we're gonna watch this clip from uh, the film that was ultimately released, which was released in 1981 called Vernon, Florida. And the, the movie itself makes no reference to any of the nub club story. It just kind of like shows the inhabitants of the town in their daily lives in these bizarre interview sections.
2: Oh, I them. I take them up, scoop them up, put them in, do, a re- do them up like brains. You buying brains? But there's a bowl right here, and there's a bowl here, bowl here, and a bowl there. Right. Now they're connected to the spine. The spine goes down the backbone. And uh, if all four of these uh, bowls are brains, if all four of them is functioning. You can, you are not a one-track mind, you're a four-track mind. And you can, you can, I see a lot of folks, they can type one letter, uh, write me a letter and you a letter on a type machine, and write on one way with this hand, and writing your letter with this hand and my letter with that. And I can take pencil and sit down. And right, this hand, okay, that one, was, was the same time, two pins. I've done that last time. And these brains. Now, what, what I was, what I was telling you, was I can't stand up. Just I I don't believe without propping against something, gets me out of balance. I had to get up. Get and you run one. Now, now, if you ain't got that, and, and I've offered all over this town, time and again, $20. Anybody do it? You run that foot in a circle, and then your hand right in the word. Then they just pick up your pistol and go and the seat, get the reach in the eye, and sing in a song. That's four. In other words, it's five things. There's five things I can do on this, on one with this old knot up there.
1: That uncannily reminded me of one of my sons telling me a story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah that's actually really that's a good pull I uh I don't know what to do with like most of what that guy was saying but man it's so fascinating the the monotonous monotone bizarre cadence that the people in this town that have this extremely thick uh accent have like they're all telling these weird stories and they're all kind of like it's it's like a they're all kind of cute, if that makes sense. Like, they're kind of cute, but they're also, there's also something, like, weird and sinister to them. Like, one guy is a turkey hunter, and he calls them gobblers. And he just spends, like, 20 minutes of the movie talking about, you gotta go and kill them gobblers, you just gotta get them gobblers, you know? You just gotta get out there and just get them gobblers, you know? And it's just so mesmerizing, but also, like, at the end of it, you're kind of like, what did I watch? What did that guy say? He just said Nothing. But it was so mesmerizing and he was so weird. And he was just talking about killing turkeys and like that guy talking about getting shot in the head and your brain exploding.
1: No, he was talking about, so basically what he was saying was some people have these four different parts of their brains and if they're all connected to your, to like if they're all connected and working, then you can do four things at once. And so you basically, and you could be like writing two different letters to, do to two different people. And then at the end, he was basically like, he was doing that he was making a, a, a clockwise circle on the in the dirt with his foot. He was making a counterclockwise circle with his hand. And then he was miming like cooking something on the stove. And then he was saying that he would sing a song. So he was basically saying like I can make a I can make a clockwise circle with my foot, a counterclockwise circle with my hand, I can cook something on the stove and sing a song at the same time because my brain has four different thing like it has there's like four different things my brain can do at once that was that was what he was saying basically and i believe him i believe him fully i think that i I think that he can do that
0: so fucking strange though like they all kind of have these weird like yeah let's watch some of this guy talking about fucking killing gobblers
3: i said well y'all just leave my gun here i got to use the bathroom i said you got to come back the same way they said yeah all right i got my gun I didn't get used to the bathroom though. I was fixing to, but right out in the pine, I heard one gobble, and they done they they done left. And I said, "My God, boy, that's the best diarrhea medicine in the world." Mmm, you hear turkey gobble, and you forget all about diarrhea and everything, headaches, anything. I cure anything. And I'd grab my gun and i tow out. I must have went a quarter of a mile, went through a bunch of pines, and he double gobbled. Well, I knew right then that I had a pretty good chance of killing him. Hey, man, it hadn't been 30 minutes since one had been killed. Bless your heart, next time he gobbled, there he was, right out there in them, that wire grass and broom sage. I just yep real low to him. He gobbled. <clears throat> Coming right straight toward me. He wasn't walking, he wasn't running. It was holding sort of a little fast trot. And I had a good blind, some palmetters. I sat behind some palmetters. I done had my gun on him, you know. And when he got up there, he was walking. A little too fast to shoot him, because I wanted a sure shot. And what I done, I just whistled. And he stopped, and he looked. And when he looked up, that was the end of it. and that's him right there in the middle with about 11 inch beard
1: yeah they're just like they're just these hypnotically mundane stories like the the lack of self-awareness to not realize that there's like not a human being on this earth that would be interested in what you're saying somehow makes it deeply fascinating. Yeah, it
0: laps itself.
1: Yeah, the fact that I the fact that I like couldn't possibly care about what he's talking about makes it makes me like uniquely interested in what he's talking about and I'm hanging on every word. Like what what happened to the turkey or the gobbler?
0: Yeah, man, what happened to that fucking gobbler, bro? It's 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 fascinating. It's a it's an interesting movie. You can see you can find it on the internet. It's pretty easy to find called vernon florida but it's kind of it's in in relief of the other story it has all this like like if you're just watching it it's exactly what you're saying like if you're coming to it blind knowing that knowing nothing about the town knowing nothing about the people knowing nothing about this fact that R- errol morris got fucking jumped by an ex-marine who was the son of a guy who was a part of the nub club or is a part of the nub club and then
1: and the cinema the, c- the cinematographer the cinematographer, like, almost, like, someone tried to hit, run him down with her car. Like, they were filming, and somebody just, like, tried to run him over with their car.
0: So, the fact that it's so mundane and, like, totally not about that other stuff is, like, kind of weird and dark, you know? Where you're just, like, oh, they're, like, we don't want any problems. We're just going to show a guy talking about gobblers.
1: Yeah, well, it's weird. Yeah, because it's, like, he went there He went there to make a movie about, like, this town that had this inordinately high number of insurance claims for amputating accidents. And they were just like, fuck you, get the fuck out of here, which honestly is kind of understandable. It's like, you know, leave us alone. Like a bunch of people bunch are our, our, like moms and dads did this desperate shit back in the 60s because they were so poor. Like, don't come in here and try to exploit this. Like, just leave us alone. Like, I I, I get it try to run somebody down with your car is a little extreme but I get the attitude I get I get the sentiment but then like to then be like okay fine 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 please don't kill us the I, I wonder what the motivation was to like follow through and still like just because they did they had the budget and so they just made the movie anyway like I, I wonder what the motivation was to just like follow through and make this other movie. That's just kind of like almost like a little bit of a softball. Like we're just going to cover the mundane, the, you know, the the mundane slice of life of this small Florida town.
0: Well, I'm sure it's I mean, I'm sure a portion of that is we have a completion bond where we have to deliver a finished thing at a certain date or else we're we are liable for the money that we took as investment to make this documentary. Yeah,
1: we don't want to get killed. So <laughs> yeah, so we have to make something. We're going to make like a we're going to make a puff piece. Like weird little documentary,
0: but saying it's a puff piece isn't accurate either. It's not like they were like Vernon, Florida, the greatest place on earth. Like it's it's a weird like
1: art installation about how strange. But but that's that that that's kind of the thing though. Is like I don't know because to me it more feels like to me it more comes off like the camera is like a captive audience to this person rambling about something that nobody cares about. Like I th- I mean to to us it comes off as weird. But I don't I don't think they think that they're weird. And it al- and it almost feels like it almost feels it less feels like, oh, like we're just going to film these people just being very strange and and just like showcase the mundane oddity of this small town and more like, all right, well, just say whatever, like, say whatever you need to say. Like, this is your show, T- you know, what whatever you want to say, just say it and we'll record it. It, it almost feels like the camera is just like a hostage to these people telling these strange mundane stories
0: I think there is a component of that but I I think saying that that's not a choice on Errol Morris's part is doing a dis- disservice to objectively one of the best documentary filmmakers of the past history of the medium you know like yeah
1: I know I, I get that but I don't know I, I the, the, the documentary doesn't feel like that to me like the documentary feels kind of phoned in to me I I mean I liked it I I don't know I think it's it's a it's, it's fascinating for sure, but it's fascinating because it's just a camera sitting on these people telling these very hypnotically bizarre and mundane stories. Like, it doesn't feel like there's much going on beyond that.
0: I think there totally is. Like, the opening shot of the movie where there's that car driving towards camera for, like, three minutes in slow motion as the weird humming music plays and the car is spewing out all of this, you know, white smoke. Like, you know the the he's making a statement about how hard it is to live in these towns and the economic trials and also how weird these people are and like the 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 kind of beauty in the mundane he and and also you know the the interesting things that these people get up to like he's definitely making a statement i don't know that it's as interesting as dudes cutting their fucking feet off to support their family
1: yeah i mean similarly if i was in this position i would try to make the best of it but to me, the documentary feels like we have to make this now. Please don't kill us. Say whatever you want.
0: <laughs> I think it can. I think it can be both. I I agree with the point you're making that it definitely feels like we have to make something. But I think that the, the a lot of times, you know, interesting stuff comes from we're out of options. What are we gonna do? Yeah the uh, the gobbler man, the gobblers, those gobblers, those fucking gobblers. Yeah, and the, the, this film itself has also gone on to have a pretty substantial following. In 2002, three dudes went back to the town and made their own like weird little short documentary that's like a companion piece, um, and that's been uploaded online that you can see, and you, you basically catch up with all the people from the town in 2002, you know, 20 years after uh, the release of Vernon, Florida. Um, saying it's a documentary is being pretty charitable. It's more just like a guy with a camcorder walking around... But it's interesting to see the, like, desolation of the town and, like, the tire shop just being fucking demolished and, you know, um, the gobbler guy being 20 years older, decked out in full camo, being interviewed. Like, there's interesting stuff if this is your fucking bag, you know.
1: Yeah, well, without even watching it, that dude talking about moving his foot and cooking is fully dead.
0: (laughs) Fully Fully dead. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we pretty much covered the the stuff I wanted to talk about, which was most of the, like, the brutality of capitalism and how it drives people to do just horrible fucking things. Final thoughts on uh, Vernon, Florida, slash, uh, slash, Nub City, slash, Gibtown. You want to talk about some more Gib Town stuff? Talk about this uh, Styles fella, murderer, slash, murdere we could do that too. Final thoughts.
1: Well, I mean, we, we did we did give away a lot of the informa a lot of that, a lot of the details of that one, but maybe we should do that as an episode, a standalone episode at some point. But uh yeah, it, it's interesting cuz I I feel like, you know, Nub City, Vernon, Florida. Obviously there's not like a whole there's not a whole lot of details to the story. Um but I but I still feel like it's a pretty good little example of something that I feel like is there's 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 a pretty strong dichotomy in our country of belief surrounding the morality of desperation and the things that you will be capable of doing when you're poor and there are many people who bring a um, like i said before they'll bring a moral charge to the idea of being poor and being stuck in poverty and committing crimes that are related to being poor. And, you know, I feel like that's our, our country is, you know, because of the way because of our financial system and our economic system. I think our country is pretty wired to generally adopt that as like mainstream thought. Like if you if you steal, you are a bad person. If you are poor, you just need to work harder and you won't be poor anymore. And if you're poor, it's your fault. And like that somehow makes you bad and therefore deserve to be poor. And this is a really good, a really good little story to illustrate that point because I feel like the idea of theft is just so charged that it's hard to really have a discussion about it because some people just. There's there. You're not going to move them like, they, you know, stealing is bad. Stealing is wrong. And if you do it, you're a bad person. And that's the end of it. You're not going to budge them on that and be like, well, you know, if you're poor enough, like stealing makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we're not we're not quite poor enough to go steal uh,
0: some shoes. Not yet.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's 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 the point. Like I have the extreme privilege of not having to steal. So when I do it, it's for pure enjoyment
0: it's for pure erotic thrill
1: yeah for sure so you can't like i you can say i'm a bad person whenever i do it but that's because i just i've never been in a situation where i've needed to um but but you know vernon florida is interesting because uh it's so extreme the idea that you would cut off your own foot that from from a from a top-down perspective from from a you know from fifty thousand feet when you hear about this story passingly you're just like these people are fucking freaks like Fucking all these people cutting off their feet and arms and shit to like get insurance money like what fucking backwoods weirdos and then you hear the whole Errol Morris story where it's like though they tried to kill them and there's like these people are like violent psychopaths that's like that's like your knee-jerk reaction to it and then you drill down a little bit deeper and you're like oh like no these people are like fucking desperate and poor and they've been stuck in this for decades And this is just what this is. This is the behavior that you will be driven to by a system that pins you down by your neck and holds you and will not let you go, will not relent. This is just this is what happens. This is the and and it makes perfect intuitive sense. Like as as we're, we're animals as 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 human beings, when put into desperate situations, we will do just about anything to survive. So it makes perfect sense like you you, like you said about the whole like caught in a caught in a a trap, like a fox will chew off its leg or whatever. like we'll do the exact same shit. And this is just a great example to show that because I feel like so many other things are so charged. but this is so extreme that it really kind of illustrates the point of like, oh yeah, why would somebody go to those lengths to cut off their own foot just to collect some insurance money? Maybe it's because being poor is like, fucking traumatizing and awful and something that like people are forced into by a system that like does not allow people to like move out of their economic class by like no amount of how hard work would would elevate you above that and that's a perfect recipe for people doing bizarre desperate things so more, more people more people should uh, read about this story and think about it a little bit more and think about why somebody would cut off their own foot. I'm
0: Dave Baker.
1: And I'm Spandrew Spice.
0: This has been Deep Cuts. If you'd like to find me, you can do so on the internet at heydavebaker.com. Uh, you can find my comics, Halloween Boy, Forest Hills Bootleg Society, which is now available in bookstores everywhere, and uh, Everyone is Tulip, the Eisner-nominated book, also available in bookstores everywhere. Spandrew, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Well, you can find me in a dark room staring with, with trepidation and fear at my own arm as I hold a hacksaw in my other hand, breathing in and out, trying to work up the courage to finally make that decision that's going to help my family move out of this desperation and push us into a, a place of sustainability and survivability and... Uh, you can't find me on social media because I'm not on social media. And for the first time, that's not a half joke. I I deleted the TikTok app off my phone. I I deleted the the Twitter app off my phone. Logged out of Twitter and deleted the thing where it, it's on your keychain. So in order to get back into Twitter, you have to like actually go to the website and like log in and remember your password and all this shit. Just creating barriers for entry for myself and uh i i'm i don't i'm just i'm not i'm not using anymore it's just it it makes me feel bad i feel like people just there's so many people on social media that just like say shit they have no idea what they're talking about and they just spread all this bullshit out into the world and it's just not good for your mental health just like have like the world's fucking speculation just like crammed into your brain on a daily basis and uh so yeah not on there but if you want to pay your respects to the dear, beloved Papa Price, you can go to DAPricerights.com and get his book, Deadbolt AI Private Eye. You can follow us on social media. Still still use that to assert, you know, we still have to have social media, so I'm still on to that extent. You can follow us on Facebook, Deep Cuts Podcast. You can uh, go to our Facebook group, Deep Cuts Podcast Facebook group, where we talk about the show and make memes. You can follow us on, you can join our Discord server, bit.ly.com slash Deep Cuts Discord, where we talk about the show, and make memes, and talk about other things. You can follow us on Instagram at DeepCutsPod. You can go to our website, DeepCutsPod.com, and click on our shop. You can get shirts and hats and things like that with DeepCuts graphics on them. You can get our Junior Sleuth uh, shoulder patch. And uh, you can pick up one of our last couple of deep DeepCuts uh, simple code tape comics, nine-track rock opera about Napster With a five-page full-color comic, Uh, a couple of those left, you can pick them up up on our shop. That's it. That's it, and that's all.